All right, how's everyone doing? For those of you visiting for the first time, my name is Hannibal, uh, one of the pastors here. And um, we are doing this series that started two weeks ago called The Greatest Story, uh, The Greatest Story, The Story of God and His Bride, or The Story of God and His People. And basically what we're doing is we're walking together through the scriptures, and we started in the book of Genesis, and we got walking together all the way to the book of Revelations. And basically is we are tracing what some theologians will call the story of redemption. We are tracing the whole story, and we get to see that the Bible, from the beginning all the way to the end, is just is, is one story. It's just one story. And it's a story that is divided into four different chapters. You got the chapter of creation, you got the chapter of the fall, you got the chapter of redemption, and you got the chapter of restoration. So if you want to see how that's uh, how it's broken in the, in the scripture, creation is Genesis 1 and 2. The fall is Genesis chapter 3. From Genesis chapter two, uh, 3 all the way to the Gospels is the story of redemption. Uh, uh, is the story, all the story of the fall. And then when we get to the Gospels, we see the part of the story of redemption. And after Jesus comes and ascended and all of that stuff, we get to see uh, the story of restoration, what's coming in our future. It's an amazing story. Um, I know that for many people, reading the Bible sometimes feels uh, uh, like a lot of work. And in my own personal journey, I, there's no book that I read the most and I enjoy the most than the Bible precisely because I get to see all this picture. And as we walk through this, I'll show you how is it that all this story is in, interconnected. It's the greatest, really. It's the greatest story ever told. Now, today is sermon three of this series. And the first two, we, we talked about... Um, uh, creation, and we're still in creation today, but at the beginning we said that the Bible at the end of the day is the story of God, right? And then we also said that it's not just the story of God, but it's the story of love. It's the story of our relationship with our God in which we are created to have to worship him and to have a relationship with him. But in addition to that, one of the things that we see in Genesis 1 and 2 is that it's also a story of purpose. So if you were here last week, I talked a little bit about the image of God. And I gave you a definition, uh, my definition of the image of God. And I said that the image of God has to do with human beings being created in a, uh, uh, having dignity and value because we are connected to God and God is connected to us. That is the, part, the first part of the definition, right? I also said that uh, being created in the image of God me means that we were created to reflect God. That we reflect God as males and females, but that we best reflect God as males and females doing life together, displaying unity in diversity. And I apply the same principle for different cultures, different social groups, different ethnicities, different everything. There's something about uh, 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 the beauty of the image of God being displayed in people that are not the same. In other words, we display the image of God better together than separate. But then the last point is that the image of God has to do with being representatives of God. Meaning, the part of our call as being image bearers is that we are here to represent God in everything we are and everything we do. And that's why today we have to talk about purpose. So if there is a group of people that should believe that we all have a purpose, should be believers. 
You know, that is the question in modern times for a lot of people. What's my purpose in life? And I think that the Bible answers that really simple. Just because you have been created in the image of God, that means that you do have a purpose. We have all a purpose. Since we have been created in the image of God, everything we are and everything we do is used by God to fulfill his purposes. We are instruments in his hand. So these are my three points for today. We're going to talk about purpose and culture making, purpose and vocation, and purpose and identity. Purpose and culture making, purpose and vocation, and purpose and identity. And as always, uh, for some of you guys that love this, and as always, for some of you that hate this, I'm going to need you to look at the person next to you and say this. Did you know, ask the question, did you know that you have a purpose? Go ahead. All right, so do the following question. Do you know what that purpose is? All right. I'm going to try to answer that question for you. So if you don't think that you have a purpose, I, my, my prayer is that I could convince you that you do. And if you already assume that you have a purpose, I, I want to make sure that you understand what that is. Because maybe the purpose you think you have is not the thing. It's not the thing you have. All right, so let's go with point number one, purpose and culture making. Um, as you look at the first two chapters of the Bible, if you remember that when God created everything, the material world, he called it good. You remember that, right? That was first sermon. And then the story tells you in Genesis chapter 1 that after God created everything good, you get to the very last part of, of Genesis chapter 1, and you see that when God created humanity, he created humanity very good. So I need you to do me a favor again. Look at the person next to you and say, you are very good. Awesome. Come back over here. This is going to be a participation sermon, by the way. Now, I, I actually think that when you put those, thing, those two things together, it's super, super, super important because, uh, and I mentioned this before a little bit, uh, it is super important because it tells you that God cares about the material world and the immaterial world. That God cares about physical things and non-physical things like our soul. That God cares about what we, the things we see and the things that we cannot see. That God cares about humanity caring about the physical things and the non-physical things because our bodies are both physical things and our soul is a non-physical things. This is the reason when the Bible talks about um, all uh, the, recon the reconciliation, transformation, and restoration of all things, he talks about the new heavens and the new earth. You guys ever notice that? It's not just talk about, you know, we're all going to be in heaven. No, no, we are going to be the new heaven. We're going to experience at one point the new heavens and the new earth. One of the, the other biblical arguments that we could make, why is it that God cares not just about the immaterial world, but material world? is because Jesus resurrected in his body. And that when we resurrect, we are going to resurrect in our bodies. So you know, you have any idea how amazing that's going to be? That there's going to be a, a point and a time in which even if people have passed away, a, a new body, they will get a new body and their soul will be together forever. Never again they're going to be separated. 
You know how amazing it's going to be that all of us at one point we're going to get to see each other again. We got even the people that we have lost that we love. We're going to get to see each other and recognize each other. I don't know if you ever heard people saying, well, well I'm going to be like a little angel. You know, someone passed away. He's like a little angel up there. And I'm like, that's not in the Bible. We're actually going to recognize each other. Isn't that amazing? Just so you know, for those of you that are married, you got to enjoy it right here. Because once you make it over there, you won't be married. But you will be able to recognize each other. You know what? Remember when we used to be married? And the person will be, yeah, thanks God, we resurrected and we are here now, right? That, that's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. Our, our bodies will be completely restored, man. Gravity will, will cease to exist. And it's also going to be kind of awkward for some of us. Because you're going to get to see people and recognize people that you never thought they were going to make it. Isn't that crazy? That's, that's going to be interesting. What? You here? Grace alone, faith alone. And, and kind of a great celebration for all of us will be, man, you look awesome. And the only answer is going to be, yeah, I died. <laughs> and resurrected. So you, you can see when you look at the whole Bible how God really cares about body and soul. He cares about the physical part of this creation and the spiritual part of this creation. He really cares about that stuff. That's why I love the phrase, the new Jerusalem. I, 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 I find that phrase so amazing, the new Jerusalem. Heaven and earth being united, comes from heaven, being united. It's reconciling all things, making all things new. Those are phrases that you hear me say all the time because it gives me a picture of what is coming. Now, this is the thing. If God cares about this creation like that, don't you think that as believers, we should all care about that creation, this creation like that? If God cares about all these physical things, don't you think that we should care about physical things? You know, it's interesting. People a few years ago started talking about the gold green thing. That's a God thing. God cares about the green things. Christians ought to care about those things as well. If we are created in the image of God, and God cares about all those things, we should care about all those things. And the theology of that comes from mainly from one verse, and then it gets developed throughout the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Look at what it says. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over every living thing that moves on the earth. And right from the beginning, you see that God created Adam and Eve with a purpose for them to care about this creation at so many different levels. That we are created with the purpose to love, care, serve, and do things in this creation. Some theologians will call this the cultural mandate. And we're going to use the word vocation later on. But this cultural man mandate says that by design, human beings, by design, even if we live in a broken world, by design we were created in such a way that we ought to 
cultivate culture, um, represent God in this culture, be a reflection of God in this culture, accomplish things in this culture, and, and do whatever we can to create culture. That's why they call it a cultural mandate. So the question is, how does that look like? Well, you don't have to guess because the text shows you. So let me walk you through a text really quick. Right at the beginning, it says that God blessed them. And if you were here before, I mentioned a little bit of this, and I said that when God men, um, uh, is blessing humanity, he's saying something along the lines, I delight in you. I see myself in you. I care for you, and I love you, and my presence goes with you wherever you go. That's kind of the idea of a blessing. Now, what is interesting about the word blessing, though, is that it, the, the root of the word blessing is the same root that is used for the word strength in Hebrew. Why is that important? Well, I don't want to make a big argument out of that, but it almost seems like if God, when he's blessing his people, he's blessing his people, sending people to create culture, and he's sending them not just with his presence, but with his strength. By nature. Our purpose as the cultural mandate people is to create culture, to make this creation flourish with the strength of God. Are you guys still with me? All right. So not only he blessed them, but then he says to them, be fruitful. Produce. Reproduce. As males and females bring fruit. And he tells us that by design, God has given all something that equips us to work, to create, to contribute, to beautify something, to develop things. That's part of the reason why we exist. We don't exist just to be passive people. We are here to work, create, contribute, uh, contribute bring beauty, develop things. And this is the argument why we know that everyone, regardless of who they are, everyone has talents and, ab and abilities given by God to actually fulfill his purposes. To care for this material world and to care for the immaterial world. To care for the body and to care for the spirit. So he blessed them. He caused them to be fruitful. And then he says to them, multiply and fill the earth. And theologians, the, the scholars that I was reading, the, the commentators I was reading, um, almost every single one of, uh, one of them say that when the Bible talks about multiplying and fill the earth, it's talking about two things at the same time. It's calling us to have babies. And two, it's calling us to make disciples. The word multiply and fill the earth is, is about that. It's about procreation. And it's also about making disciples. Now, this is interesting because in our cultural time, having babies is almost like a luxury for some. But that's not what the Bible says. Have babies. As many as you can. Just right context, right time, but have babies. So if you're here and you're married and you're still wondering whether or not you should have babies, stop thinking. Just go. Do whatever you have to do. I'm not even going to tell you what that looks like because you should know. <laughs> but, uh, but in addition to that, I want you to see why is it that having babies is important. 
It's not just by, have, it's not just that we, we have babies because they're nice. Because believe me, if you have a kid, there's a time in which that kid is no longer nice. And it's not even about having babies that because they're, you know, we want to. Because the Bible doesn't say have babies if you want to, you know. I want you to see that the theological argument is that we have babies because it's part of our mission. It's part of our purpose. We are called to multiply. We, we are called to bring to this creation other image bearers that will reflect God in all this creation. It's, it's part of our call, our mission, our purpose. But, but it's not just about having babies. It's also about by multiplying and making disciples, which is the language that the New Testament is going to use later on. It's by helping people not only know Jesus and live for Jesus, but then for them to actually look for other people that will become followers of Jesus. So as a church, we have been working in kind of the language and how we describe discipleship. So I'll give you a teaser of what that looks like. Uh, I think that part of the cultural mandate, when God calls us to multiply and fill the earth, he's calling us to make disciples that trust the gospel, that are transformed by the gospel, that live out the gospel in community, that proclaim the gospel, and that help those disciples make more disciples, reproducing the gospel. That's, that's part of the cultural mandate. Right? We want more people to know Jesus. We want more people to follow Jesus. We want people to, that help them reach other people to follow Jesus and walk with Jesus. That's part of our call. By design, even more as Christians, by design, this is what we were created to be. That's our purpose. So he blessed them. He caused them to be fruitful. He gives it, tells them to multiply it and fill the earth. And then he says, subdue it. And have dominion over it. And to understand those terms, we have to read the other verse that we read before. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Now, the word work there has two different meanings. The first meaning means to work. Create, grab whatever the Lord has already done and work it. This is interesting when people talk about work almost like a punishment, like a necessary evil. What is interesting is that work comes into the picture and sin is still not in the world. Sin comes later. So we were created to work by design. There's something beautiful that gives dignity and value when we work. This is why laziness is such a crazy thing. And that's why the book of Proverbs talks so much about against laziness. Laziness dehumanizes, dehumanizes. We were created to work. That is the first definition. The second uh, definition of the word work means, and this is crazy, it means serving. Not just making money. But serving. And he tells us that by design, God created us to work as one of the ways we serve him and we serve others. That's part of our purpose. Remember, this is before the fall. Let me say that again. 
by design, we were created to work, to use what the Lord has already done and do something with it for his purposes. And work also means to serve. This is one of the ways how we serve the Lord and how we serve others in this creation. And then he says, keep it. And I love that word because it means to watch over it or to guard it. And you know that's important because it tells us that as, as believers, we, we don't get to do whatever we want with this creation. We guard this creation. We protect this creation. We, we watch over this creation. Once again, modern people were not the first people that started using the term or the concept of go green. That's already there in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 since the beginning. So one way to put it is like this. This earth is God's garden, and we are his gardeners. This world is God's garden, and we are his gardeners. We all have something to contribute. There is a reason why we have talents and abilities. There is a reason why, that, why we ought to work, and we ought to work as a way to serve God and serve others. We should care about the physical and non-physical parts of this world. From that perspective, church, and you, you probably, if you've been in the church for a while, you probably heard, heard me say this before, or my predecessors say this before. But if that is true, and it is, that's what the Bible says, then everything we do, everything we do, church, is spiritual. Everything we do, at the end of the day, has to be spiritual. Because everything we do is before the presence of one God, and is for his glory and his purposes, Everything we do. Can you say everything? This is why some other theologians talk about dualism. And it's a technical term, but basically that means that there are people that believe that, that there are things or jobs or, or careers or vocations that are more important than others. Or that there are things that are spiritual and other things that are not spiritual. If I just use one argument, just one argument. If I say that we are always before the presence of God. Always, that God always sees everything we do. Can we actually say that there are things that are not spiritual? When you go to the bathroom, God is there. Isn't that crazy? Everything we do is spiritual. There's no this spiritual dualism, at least not for believers. Everything we do is for God's purposes. Is to multiply, is to fill the earth, is to serve. Everything we do, that's our purpose. Our job is to work and keep God's creation. This is the reason why Martin Luther, uh, this was a conversation between the priest and the monks and then regular people, we're going to call regular people. And, and in one of his writings, he says this. The works of monks and priests, however holy, so put in perspective, whatever Hannibal does, the works of monks and priests, however holy, they be uh, they, be, they do not differ one whit in the sight of God from the works of a rustic laborer in the field or a woman going about her household tasks. Because all works are measured before God by faith alone. Indeed, the menial work is often more acceptable to God than all the fasting and other works of a monk or priest because the monk or priest lacks faith. So let me translate that. From that perspective, 
you and I have different jobs. We function differently. But before God, you and I are both contributing to what the Lord is doing. Because at the end of the day, it's not just the things we do, but the reason why we do it. If we do it with faith for the glory of God, for his purpose to, purposes to contribute to what the Lord wants us to do here, that is faith. So please don't ever think that what I do here as I preach the sermon has more value than what you do outside the church. Here's another quote. Brother Lawrence, he puts this. Our sanctification, the way we grow into the image of Christ, our sanctification does not depend upon changing our works, but in doing that for God's sake. It's about doing that for God's sake. It's about perspective. All work has purpose. All work is missional. All work is part of the cultural mandate. And if that is true, then we got to spend some time talking about vocation. Point number two. Now, I'm using the word vocation because it, I think that it's a better word than just talk about work. So let me give you a, kind of my definition of the word vocation. Vocation is about uh, the season in which you are combined with your gifts and abilities and how God uses those gifts and abilities for his glory and his purposes. Vocation is about the season in which you are Combined with your gifts and abilities and how God uses those gifts and abilities to accomplish his purposes and for his glory. You guys with me? I'm going to tell you three things about vocation. And why is it that this understanding radically changed the way I view life when I was not a pastor just yet. Three things I'm going to give you. Number one, all vocations matter. All vocations matter. And God has given talents and abilities to his church for people to fulfill their vocations. And I'm going to give you an example of one thing, one vocation that is oftentimes undermined or is not even placed in the category of vocation. Here we go. And a stay-at-home mom. Have you ever heard anybody talking about a stay-at-home mom as a vocation? Like, the mom would tell you that that feels like a lot of work. But everybody else does not consider that to be a vocation. And I think we got to call it a vocation because it's a season in life in which a female, hopefully in agreement with the husband, decided that she's going to stay at home to contribute to the multiplying, flourishing, and fulfilling of these kids. Now, for, for Heidi and I, this understanding was super important. So we, I, I remember she was pregnant, and we came, and we had this conversation, whether or not she was going to work or she would stay at home or whatever. And, 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 and I would say by God's grace, we came to the conclusion that we could, and actually she wanted to stay at home with the babies. And it was so good for me to see it and for her to see it because then as we are embarking in this new season in life, in this new vocation for her and a vocation for me, we realized that my vocation outside the home was just as important as her vocation inside the home and that her vocation inside the home was just as important as my vocation outside the home. Different but very important because both of us, we're, give, we're given abilities to actually accomplish what the Lord has given us to do. 
All vocations matter, including when a mom decides to stay at home. All vocations matter. You guys with me? Number two, all vocations matter because all vocations reflect something about God. So if you notice in Genesis chapter 2, we have the picture of a working God. He is creating. He is doing. Actually, I, I love the way Tim, Tim Keller puts it. He says, we worship a God that has dirt and, under his nails. It is true. We have a working God. And if we have been created in his image, when we work, we are also reflecting something of God. I'm going to quote a lot of people today, just so you know. Amy Wilson... Um, Carmichael, which was a, was a Christian missionary in India. This is what she says, something beautiful, similar to what Keller says. There are farmers because God was the first farmer. There are doctors, nurses, and paramedics because God was the first divine healer. There are engineers because God was the fierce, first engineer. There are accountants because God was the first accountant. There are business people because God was the first businessman. There are communications because God was the first communicator. There are builders because God was the first builder. Everything we do as vocations is a reflection of who God is and how God is. Do you see a vocation like that? Number three, all vocations matter because all vocations are used by God to accomplish his purposes. Daryl Miller wrote a book years ago called Faith and Work, and this is what he says. Everything we do as Christians contributes to what is beautiful, to what is truth, and to what is just. Amy Sherman, another writer, wrote a book called Kingdom Calling. I, I think that her, <clears throat> her explanation of how is it that we reflect God is actually the best explanation. Look at what she says. God is a God of redemptive work, God saving and reconciling actions. And therefore, as Christians, evangelists, counselors, pastors, and peacemakers are reflecting God through their redemptive work. So for those of us that are pastors, evangelists, counselors, and peacemakers, we are reflecting God there. She talks about creative work and says that God is fashioning uh, he fashions the physical and the human world. Therefore, those of us that are sculptors, actors, painters, musicians, poets, designers, carpenters, architects, we are all reflecting God through our creative work. Isn't that beautiful? It says that God does providential work. God's provision, uh, provision for and sustaining humans and this creation. Therefore, those of us that are social workers, farmers, firemen, police officers, bankers, painters, technicians, are reflecting God through our providential work. He talks about, she talks about God doing justice work. God may, uh, maintaining justice in this world. Therefore... If you are a judge, a lawyer, a paralegal, a government regulator, a secre uh, legal secretary, a city manager, so a prison warden, a guard, a policy uh, researcher, an advocate, a law professor, a diplomat, and uh, a police officer, we are all reflecting something about the justice of, work, of God. Isn't that beautiful? Compassionate work. God's involvement is 
involvement is comforting, healing, guiding, and shepherding. That's what God does. Therefore, those of us that are doctors, nurses, paramedics, psychologists, therapists, social workers, pharmacists, community workers, nonprofit directors are all reflecting something about the compassionate work of God. Revelation work. God works to, by giving us truth. Therefore, preachers, scientists, educators, journalists, scholars, and writers are reflecting God through their re revelation work. And there's one more that she doesn't mention there, but I want to add. If we are created in the image of God, and we were created to work and have a vocation, and sin entered the world, now as Christians, we are all doing our vocations as part of the restoration work. I'll give you an example for me that became super personal. Many of you know that I was a teacher before I was a pastor. Um, and I actually, I became a teacher a few years after I became a Christian. Um, so I was sitting the, uh, teaching in the city of Chicago, Chicago Public Schools. And I remember people telling me, oh, such a great thing that a Christian is going into the Chicago Public Schools because they need help. And I said, well, yeah, that's true. That's awesome. So what do you mean by that? And he says, well, you get to be a Christian, light in the midst of darkness. And we will say, amen. And then I ask the question, what does that mean? And he says, well, you are there to evangelize. And I'm like, okay, great. Amen to that. The problem, though, is that for a season, I saw my calling only as an evangelist. But it's only when I got this definition that even the vocation in itself like doing things with my hands, helping a kid understand that two plus two is eight. <laughs> That's why I stopped being a teacher. <laughs> helping a kid understand what I was saying, teaching history and science and writing and reading all that stuff. The Lord was using to contribute through me for the dignity, value, and equipping of these beautiful creatures in the, created in the image of God. It wasn't just about evangelism. And listen, I did evangelize in that classroom. I pray for those students almost every day. But I realized that my job was to care for them in the immaterial world and also in their material world. Can you imagine how different the world will be if all believers see their vocation like that? Can you imagine how much of an impact we will make if we understand that our work, our vocation is how we serve God and serve this world? Actually, let me give you, uh, what is it, uh, four arguments. How our world and how we will be so different if we actually embrace that. To begin with, and this I mentioned already, we will stop thinking about work as a necessary evil. No, no, there is dignity, value, and purpose, and mission in our work. Number two, we will stop looking for jobs just because of money. So if you have a job that gives you a lot of money, praise God, use it, give it generously. Nothing wrong with that. But we will start looking for a job based on the money that we could get. For all the younger people, we will look for jobs that will serve God and serve others. 
Even if you don't make money, why do you think I'm a pastor? Why do you think I was a teacher? So my daughter's starting to be a social worker, and the first thing I said, baby, you're going to be poor forever. But it doesn't matter. Because she's choosing a job for the sake of God's glory and to serve people. We will see that God works through us. Mother uh, Teresa wrote this poem, amazing poem. She says, Christ has nobody but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion and this world. You are the feet for which uh, he walks to do good. You are the hands with which uh, he blesses all the world. You are the hands, you are the feet, you are the eyes, you are his body. Christ has nobody now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. You are the eyes with which he, he looks compassion and this world. Christ has nobody now on earth but yours. We will learn to see how every vocation in the body of Christ matters. So I, I, I run out of time, but this is our problem here. Either we undermine our jobs or our vocation, or we elevate them so much that we think that, the, that that's our God. You guys with me? Either we undermine it so bad that we say, oh, this is nothing, or we overvalue it so much that we actually treat our jobs like if it's our God. And what happens, that becomes your God, is that when you do really well, then that's your identity. Uh, I'm awesome. But when you do really bad, you have nothing. So how do we fix that? Purpose and identity. One verse. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It tells you that you were created for good works. But that the only way we could do, be, do that is when we first remember that we were created in Jesus. You know what that means? That your identity, what matters most, is that you are in Jesus. That you have nothing to gain and you have nothing to lose. That even if you have a great job that doesn't give you anything, you already have an identity in Jesus. And if you have a job that does not give you a lot, it doesn't matter. Because you're already somebody because you have an identity in Jesus. May the Lord allow us to live. The purpose for which he has created us, regardless of where we are, that we do it all for the God's glory and God's purposes. Let's pray. Our beautiful Savior, we are grateful that we get to be part of the redemption story, that we get to contribute to what you are doing in this creation, that we get to be your hands and your feet and your voice and your mouth. That you get to bless this creation through us. Please help us see ourselves as part of this story. Please help us see, Lord, that um, we are called, Lord, to be fruitful and to multiply and fill the earth. And work this creation. And care for this creation. And to fulfill the cultural mandate. Could you please give us minds to be able to understand that? Eyes to be able to see it. And hearts that are willing that are willing to do it. We pray for all this in the name of Jesus, and we all say.